You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this talk by Pastor Brandon Berg, titled Redemption, from the series My Friend's Favorite Talks. For more info, visit creekside.org. Here's the gospel. Before we go anywhere else this morning, you've heard this before, hopefully, but if you haven't, it's just good to be reminded Maybe you walked in here this morning, you have no idea what you're doing. You haven't been in church in a long time. Someone offered you, offered you breakfast or to pay for your lunch or whatever. And, oh, by the way, we're going to stop by church this morning. Yeah, whatever. Here's the gospel or the good news. It's that you and I are, are more deeply flawed than we could ever imagine. And yet we're more profoundly loved than we ever dared hope. Amen. And so you're sitting around, whether you realize this or not, you're sitting around tables with people who who are deeply flawed, but are deeply loved by a flawless God. That's that's the gospel. I want to talk with us just for a few moments this morning, just for a few minutes that we have left, about uh, this word that is a bit of, can be a bit of a churchy word, but we also use it in our secular lives outside of church. In fact, we probably use it more outside church, uh, and, and we probably understand it better outside of uh, the church service and church building and our theology. Uh, we, we understand it better outside, and that word is redemption. So uh, I'm a sports nut, and I'll, I'll share with you how, how we, if you're a sports nut, you, you've, you've heard this word used a lot, this word redemption. And so Webster's would say that redemption is an act of redeeming or atoning for a fault or a mistake uh, or the state of being redeemed, the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. I love this part. We get it, it shifts a little bit into the more spiritual realm here. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. So in athletics, you'll hear a coach or a, or a player or a team say, man, we sure would like to, who suffered a, a devastating loss maybe the night before, or the week before, or the year before, we would like to redeem that loss. So I come from the land of the 12th man. Right, the Pacific Northwest, and it, I've been in that. I've been in Seattle, Seattle Stadium. It's no, it is legit. It's no joke. It has to be the loudest uh, uh, stadium in in the NFL. You can't even when they're rolling. You can't even carry on a conversation with the person next to you. You can't even hear yourself think. It is that loud. Now, here's the problem. I am not part of the twelfth man bandwagon. I'm not. I'm not a. Do we have Seahawks fans in, in here? Oh, co- couple, couple, a uh, few. So, so here's, here's the problem with that is I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. Oh, sweetheart, we're moving. We're moving to Martinez. Uh, so, uh, so I, I, am, uh, I am secretly in my heart planning my Super Bowl plans in January, watching this incredible game the Packers played at Seahawks Stadium and until the last half of the last quarter. It's like my whole world turned upside down. I, I was thrown up in my mouth, and I just, my, I was like, oh. So I hope, I pray that the Seahawks can want redemption, or excuse me, the Packers want redemption for that loss. All right. Redemption. In the Old Testament, and then we'll look at the New Testament, one of my favorite verses of the Old Testament is, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you've been redeemed by the Lord, the psalmist says, say it. 
speak out and let people know that you've been redeemed. The Hebrew word there is ge'al, and it's used uh, over a hundred times in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it means uh, it's the act of avenging or revenge or a ransom. It's a kinsman redeemer to do the part of a uh, kinsman. And so that, that's an interesting phrase in the Old Testament. If you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament Bible, kinsman redeemer, we see this in the book of Ruth with Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi was widowed and, and lost her sons and was really in society, just ancient culture. She was, she was destitute. So a, a woman in the Old Testament, if she was widowed, didn't have, and she didn't have a namesake, uh, a male namesake. She was destitute. Even if she had property or lands or, or possessions, she, she really couldn't do business. And so someone from the family, a kinsman uh, of her kin, would, would redeem that, would marry her. They would have kids and, and, and uh, restore her status in society. And so we, we see this with Ruth and Naomi, where Boaz comes along, buys her, her field, marries Ruth. And, and not only that, but Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed, who has a son named Jesse, who has a son named David in the line of Jesus. This beautiful story of redemption in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there are two words for redemption largely used. One is the idea of redeeming the time, kind of seize the day. And then the other is used to describe Jesus's work on the cross. We find it in Romans chapter 3 verse 24. So being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That Greek word, if you're kind of a Hebrew Greek nut, is apolutrosis. And it, it means it, it's, it's to re- release a, a secure... Um, a payment or a ransom. It's a deliverance or a setting free. Paul uses this word because his his audience would understand it also in secular Greek. Uh, they would understand it as a conqueror releasing captives or a master redeeming slaves. It's to be released from an alien yoke. And so spiritually, we would understand it as being redeemed from the alien yoke of the enemy. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Let's look at it again now with kind of that context. For he has rescued us, Paul says, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is good news. Creekside, this is good news. That, that's another way of, of, of preaching the gospel and saying the gospel and the good news that we've been redeemed. We've been transferred into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption we've been bought back amen to that yeah so but here's my question here's my question to us this morning with that setup how is it that you and i can be redeemed how is it that that i could i could probably uh, if we had the time we could interview several people um in the congregation and we could just talk you could talk with us about your story of coming to faith in christ and some of you have just incredible moving stories. Some of you, you know, came to the altar in tears to a moving rendition of Just As I Am or Amazing Grace, and you remember that that day, that night, as if it was yesterday. How is it that we can have a powerful experience on maybe a Sunday morning or during a growth group throughout, throughout the week, and then we can wake up on Tuesday morning and someone cuts us off in traffic, and we're like, mm-hmm. And praying that they don't attend our church. (laughs) How is it that we can say things to our kids and our spouse and walk away going, man, 
maybe if we're a boss, a business owner, say things to our employees, that we get kind of to the end of our day and go, I don't know, even know where that came from. I thought I was redeemed. I have a friend, his name's uh, Jonathan Klein. He attends our church. In fact, he's serving in our church right now. Uh, he, he traveled around the world in YWAM telling people about Jesus. He loves Jesus. And, um, and he, he had, uh, we were having coffee one day. He's got this tattoo on his arm that, that in Taiwanese says redemption. I said, man, tell, tell me that. A lot of tattoos tell stories. I said, tell me the story. And, um, and, and he said, Brandon, I was telling people about Jesus. We're winning souls in YWAM, and I was hiding a drug addiction. I said, really? He said, yeah, he told me this one story. He was in this foreign country, bought some drugs, and, and, and was going to blow through it. And, and he had this, um, he was convicted by the Holy Spirit, so he threw it in the trash can. And he walked away. And sometime later, he went back to the same trash can, and he pulled it back out of the trash can. Used some of it. Was convicted by the Holy Spirit. He's telling people about Jesus. Convicted by the Holy Spirit. He throws it back in the trash can. Back and forth we go. Do, do you see the picture Creekside, I wonder if many of us have trash cans in our lives. The things that we go back and forth on, the things that we wrestle with in our head and our heart, and we go, man, what is that about? I know I'm redeemed. I know I've had an experience with Jesus. But what is the trash can about? My sense is that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, desires to help answer this riddle for us this morning. Not to excuse our sin, but to help us understand theologically what's going on. Because if we, if we don't, we, we can get really tied up in our thinking about God and our experiences and what's going on with the trash cans in our life. If we don't understand this peace, Creekside. Okay. So maybe those this morning who love Jesus, but you're, you have a trash can. You have an addiction. There's something going on. This happened, Joy and I almost missed our flight yesterday. It was the closest. We were running through the, uh, through the airport, and we were, we were the, there were two guys behind us that, that were the last two. We were, we were the, right at the end of the line. And uh, we got caught in traffic, and then the parking, we were parking our car at the airport, and that, it was all torn up, so there was limited parking. And I was in the car, I think I probably swore. My joy is, joy is just cool, calm, collected. I get on the airplane, and I'm sitting next to a pilot and a stewardess. The stewardess is dead heading home. The pilot's just heading to Oakland to start work, and we're, we're gabbing and talking, and found out I was a pastor. And, uh, you know, so in, in her mind, and she, by her own admission, was not... Um, a church go or anything so she's trying to analyze the pastor who's sitting next to her and uh, wondering like you know do you drink you know um, do, you, do you have kids do you you know what do you do and I just told her I told her the story of swearing in the car and her eyes got about this big <laughs> what do we do what do we do with that and I walked away we, we smile make light of it but I walked away going man Brandon Come on. I want you to say this with me on the count of three. I'll I'll say it and then I'll count to three and have you say it with me. Redeemed, being redeemed, will be redeemed. Are you ready? One, two, three. Redeemed, being redeemed, will be redeemed. Let's do that again. One, two, three. Redeemed, being redeemed, 
will be redeemed. These, these trash cans, I wonder how many just rhetorically want those trash cans cleaned up in our lives. We want to understand them a little bit better. We want them cleaned up. Go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul writes this. I think we have it on the screen for you. We do. If you don't have your Bible. I beseech you therefore, brethren, underline the word brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Underline the word bodies. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Underline that phrase, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So hopefully you underlined at least in your head and your heart, if not with a pen or pencil. Brethren, bodies, and at least the word mind or the phrase transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're not careful and you're kind of reading Romans 12, 1 and 2, but not really reading it, you can miss some subtleties in here. And what the Apostle Paul does is he actually outlines and hits on the triunity of man. And so you and I are created in God's image. We serve a triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you and I are also created, as we're created in that image, what we find is we're, we're, we're body, we're mind, and spirit. Spirit, mind, and body. It's the triunity of man. And so our spirit is redeemed. Our bodies one day will be redeemed. And our mind or our soul, we're going to use those terms interchangeably. We're really going to land on the word soul this morning, is being redeemed. Our spirit, Romans eight fifteen and 16, says this, that his spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of of God. Not I will be, not I'm working on it, but that I am. When I, when I say yes to Jesus, I am a child of God. Yeah, yeah so my, and, and not only that, but if you read further in um, Romans chapter 8, Paul hits on the body and he says, We eagerly anticipate even the redemption of our bodies. And then he addresses the mind, that word mind, noose, mind, thinking, understanding. It means to understand a thing. It's our intellect, it's our opinion, our sentiment, our our conception. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Creekside, here's the deal. If our minds, or this soulish part of who we are, the seed of our mind, will, affections, and passions, if that was redeemed when we said yes to Jesus, there's no reason for the Apostle Paul to write this admonition in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I think it's Philippians, also kind of a companion verse. I think it's Philippians 4, 8, kind of the 4, 8 principle. There's a book written on this. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are of good report, meditate on these things. Why would I need to if my mind is already redeemed, if my soul is already redeemed? So there's something here that we need to understand in Scripture. And I think it points to the trash cans of our lives. Our spirit is redeemed. Our bodies one day will be redeemed, according to Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. Here's the reason I know my body's not redeemed. It's every morning when I wake up, right? My, my ankles crack and my knees crack. Our, our, um, our church just got back from Tijuana a couple weeks ago, did a missions trip. We were at Puente. I think, I think Creekside's done some missions trips there. And um, it took me like three days to recover. When I was 21, I'd lay down, take a nap for three or four hours and be fully redeemed in my body 
I don't bounce like I used to, and it's not getting any better. (laughs) My body will be redeemed one day. But then we hit this part, and I'll explain here in a few minutes why we're using the word mind and heart and soul, especially kind of interchangeably. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 21, verse 19. He said, by your patience, possess your own souls. So there's action on our part with regard to our soul. See, some of us, I think we grew up with a theology that um, now I pray, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord, something, something my soul to keep. Don't teach your kids that prayer, by the way. Soul to keep. But Jesus said, by your patience, possess your own soul. I want to show you this. Uh, look at Second Corinthians chapter 3. Or you can just write that down and, and listen how, how Paul uses these words, mind, soul, and heart, interchangeably. Therefore, since we have such hope, distinctly but interchangeably. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds, noema is the word in the Greek, their understanding, their intellect, listen to what it includes, the heart, soul, affections, were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. The word in the Greek is cardia. It's the seed of feeling or impulse, affection. Here it is. Desire, the heart, or the mind is all included in that word. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's, there's liberty. Amen. We sang about that this morning. So we're, we're redeemed. There's freedom in Christ. Look at verse 18. But, not so fast, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Do you see it there, Creekside? We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul is saying that we're, we're, we're redeemed. The, the veil has been taken away. There's liberty and freedom in Christ. And it's like we're, 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 but there's part of us that's being redeemed. We look in the mirror and we go, hey, it's Jesus. And, you know, and then we, we kind of rub our eyes and we go, oh, no, it's just me. <laughs> and then the next morning we, we wake up in the morning and we go, oh, I'm star- hey, it's Jesus. I'm seeing Jesus reflected back. And then we rub the sleep out of our eye boogers out of our eyes and we go, nope, it's just me. From glory to glory, we're being transformed. As Paul says, it's like we're looking in a mirror. Here's a big takeaway from that. We reflect that which we behold, Creekside. We reflect that which we behold. What are we beholding in our lives? Because that's what's going to be reflected in the mirror back to us and the world around us. Are we beholding Christ? Do we behold Christ in our worship, in our communion, in our fellowship, in the things that we say, in our actions, in our devotions? What are we, what are we beholding in the first part of our day? What are we beholding in the middle and the end part of our day we put, before we put our head down on the pillow? What is it that we behold? As the moon reflects the sun, you and I have the opportunity to reflect Christ. What is it that we're beholding? We transform our souls, our hearts, our minds by beholding Christ, by aligning our thinking 
with Christ. Look at one more piece of scripture to kind of put this together. Um, when we talk about the, the, the process, the triunity, the idea of being redeemed. For we do not want you to be ignorant, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our, our trouble, which came to us in Asia. We were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in Christ who raises the dead. He quickly, he's telling the story of all that they endured and he moves it into the spiritual realm. In verse 10, listen to what he says. Who delivered us from so great a death, who does deliver us, in whom we trust will still deliver us. Do you see it there? We've been delivered, we're being delivered, and we trust in him that he will deliver us. It's it's the key, it's the tension in the kingdom of now and not yet. Pastor Brandon, am I redeemed when I say yes to Jesus? Yes. Then what's with the trash cans? Am, am I still in process? Am I still being redeemed? Yes. The answer is yes. It's it's a mystery. It's it's a it, it's a mystery of heaven. The soul, if anyone ever comes to you and says, oh, I can tell you exactly what the soul is. Here's the definition. You might want to just take a few steps back. There's a theologian, his name's Parker Palmer, and he says the soul is like this wild animal that only comes out every once in a while. You have to kind of tiptoe up, and every once in a while you can see the soul out of the corner of your eye. He also said this, that the soul is the being in human beings. The soul, it's the seed of our mind, our will, and our affection. So back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, um, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, this isn't a matter of gender, it's a matter of spiritual position. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. They are redeemed. They've already been redeemed. And then he addresses the body. He says, just put the, we could preach on this for a long time, just put the body, put your body and, and, and the, and the uh, appetites of the flesh, just put that on, on the altar every day. And then he says, you need to be transformed by the renewing every day of your mind, that seat of your affections. We're in process. Creekside, we're in process. We're all a piece of work. But we're God's piece of work. Ephesians 2.10, for you are Christ's workmanship. You're his poema. You're his story. You're his song. And he's writing something beautiful with your life. But you and I are in process. Your big idea is this, once again, that your soul is in process and you play the lead role in the process. Your soul is in process and you play the lead role in the process. You are simultaneously redeemed, being redeemed, and will be redeemed. And this is not to excuse any sin or the trash cans in our lives. Paul hit on this. Because wherever there's sin and trash cans in our life, grace abounds even even more so, doesn't it? Right? And so and but then Paul catches himself when he's writing that. He goes, "Well, then should we sin because he anticipates some questions. Well, let's just sin some more so that grace may abound." And he goes, "Certainly not." No, we we don't sin more so that grace may abound but what we understand is that grace is there as we're in the process of being redeemed we're more flawed than we could ever imagine 
and yet we're more profoundly loved than we ever dared hope. Some of you this morning, that, that right there, the gospel summarized that way, is what you needed to hear this morning. In, in all the trash cans of life, you just needed someone to say that, yeah, you're deeply flawed, but you're even more loved. Pastor Brandon, what, now that I understand this a little bit better, I understand why I do that. I understand why I swear when I'm looking for a parking spot and I'm about ready to miss my flight. But I don't, I don't want to anymore. I don't want to do that. Jonathan didn't want to go back to that trash can. So what do I do? Accept God's grace. Extend God's grace. And behold Jesus. Accept God's grace, his unmerited favor. See, for some of us, this is, this is the part where you, kind of your theology comes to a screeching halt. Because you, maybe you were raised in a performance-based home, performance-based culture, and it's just like checklists. It wasn't written out, but it's unwritten rules. It's an unwritten checklist that you have to add up. You have to do certain things. And in order for me to be accepted, it ha- it, there, there, there is a, I have to do something. I have to. And so God's unmerited favor, his grace, it hasn't computed with you. That's hard to understand. And so my prayer for you this morning as you hear that, accepting God's grace for the trash cans in your life, that it would move kind of from from your head to your heart. Accept God's grace. Apply it to your life and then extend it to other people. How many have ever been upset with someone else's trash cans in their life? You're like, how could they ever do, raise your hands up? How could they do that? You just want to put them in a headlock and go, Ugh, stop it. And then we remember our trash cans. The trash cans remind us, they point to the fact that we need God. I think that's a, a, a wonderful just to circle back to that, Pastor Brandon, why would the Lord allow us to live in this mystery of being redeemed, redeemed, being redeemed, and one day will be redeemed? That is a mystery. It's all at one time. Which one is it, Pastor Brandon? At which time in my life? No, it's all three all the time. Well, how do I do that? Exactly. You need Jesus to do it. We're a piece of work. We need God's grace. We need to extend it to other people. We're a work in progress. Uh, Ruth Graham died in 2007. And uh, she, for those of you who don't know that name, Ruth Graham, she was the, uh, the, the wife of famed evangelist Billy Graham, if that rings any bells to uh, anyone. And so when she died, she had something unique placed on her headstone. And um, she, so the story is this, and she could have had a lot placed on her headstone. Uh, she was a poet, a writer, philanthropist. She wrote all kinds of books. She had, uh, you know, a gaggle of uh, uh, grandkids and great-grandkids. And it, she, she didn't put any of that on her headstone, not even in a modest way. It wasn't like, you know, wonderful wife and mother and ardent Christ follower. She could have put that easily on her headstone. She didn't put that on there. She was driving through miles and miles of construction one day, and every few hundred yards she would see a sign that said, under construction, please slow down construction, you know, workers at work, please slow down. 
And she got all the way to the end of construction and she saw a sign that said this, end of construction, thank you for your patience. Guess what she put on her headstone? That's exactly, it's hard to see. I probably should have blown it up. But right down there, those, those two lines at the bottom, end of construction, thank you for your patience. Creekside, hear me. The reason I love this is it points to, it's someone's deep understanding. Ruth understood something, that you and I are in process and we're not gonna always get it right. Right.